Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. I'm Phil Crimmins, covering for Luke this week as he's taking a well-deserved few days off. And uh, the, today's podcast will be a little bit shorter than usual because, unfortunately, I, I, I uh, had a back injury at the gym. And so even just sitting down for a little bit can be, get painful after a certain period of time. So what we'll do today is we'll just go over the comments and questions that weren't living links or movie scene shares. Uh, that way we can more efficiently go through the questions and get back to the, you know, what is frankly the more interesting part of the podcast anyway. Uh, and so we'll go through those. And for those of you who've never listened to the Mandarin Blueprint podcast before, it is a uh, Q&A podcast. So it's people who are asking questions in the comment section of lessons on our course. And actually an important announcement is that we're reintroducing a monthly subscription to Mandarin Blueprint. We stopped doing monthly and annual subscriptions back in November of 2020, I believe. And uh, we just switched to doing just the full bundle uh, or um, installment plans to buy the full bundle. But, you know, that part of the reason we did that was because we wanted to make sure that we wouldn't get too many people signing up for the course, which is kind of a good problem to have. But since I'm in the prob in the process of building the upper intermediate and advanced course at the moment, if suppose we got an influx of you know I don't know ten thousand new students today, right? That would be good for our you know financial future, but it wouldn't be good for our ability to handle the customer service requests and also be able to build the advanced course. So it's kind of always been our plan that after the advanced course is completed and we can say that at this point the skeleton is finished, we just need to add some more meat to the bones around the course, but the basic structure of the course is complete, then there's very little that's you know super pressing when it comes to uh, course content. And as a result, we could spend more time building like a really great customer service system, which means we could potentially reintroduce subscription. So we've reintroduced a subscription and our hedge against it becoming too much is that it's a little bit uh, higher per month than say, you know, some of our competitors, but uh, I'm not really too worried about that because none of our competitors are as systemized or as structured as the Mandarin Blueprint method. $39 a month for uh, access to everything. Uh, but you know, the difference between the subscription and of course the installment plan is the installment plan is more expensive per month and you pay for it over 12 months, I believe it's $65 at the moment. It will be more when the advanced course comes out. However, the idea behind that is that you own it at the end. So you pay $65 a month, but by the end of 12 months, you then own the course. And you can also just buy it outright for $599 in one payment, and then you own it immediately. The monthly subscription, you only maintain access so long as you're paying the monthly subscription, but it is the least expensive way to... Um, you know, get involved in the course. And we may offer uh, some discounts on the monthly subscription uh, should the need arise. But at the moment, that's what we're doing just to make it a little bit more accessible for some people because many people were like, this is great, this is awesome, but I just can't afford $65 a month, which is the cheapest option. So, uh, you know, I guess I just can't do it. And, you know, that's a bit of a shame. So we wanted to get more people involved and we're going to do that through the monthly subscription. So that's the new announcement there. There is now a monthly subscription of $39 a month to get access to the Mandarin Blueprint Method curriculum. Next, I'd like to give you a brief update on how we're doing with building the Upper Intermediate course and the Advanced course. We're making progress. Uh, if you want a more comprehensive update on like all the different things that we're going through, uh, you can check out 
last week's podcast called Consuming Chinese, episode 145. And um, I gave a more in-depth update there. And the only reason I'm not going into as much detail now is that there's not much to report other than we've just made progress on the various things that I've mentioned in that podcast. But I did want to mention one thing, which is that we're focusing, you know, some of you might be wondering, well, if we have the character order planned out through uh, character 2000 or so, then why not just start to release it now? Well, first of all, it's not quite done because just getting it planned out compared to uh, preparing all the thumbnails, getting all of the lessons set up is, you know, it's not instant. And at the moment, we only have one assistant who can help us do that stuff. And we need him first to focus on building the new vocab boost lessons that we're going to be adding to the intermediate course and also finishing up the inter intermediate course stories, which we're in the process of finalizing after having delaying that, delayed them several times. And so, as a result, we have him focusing on the vocab boost lessons in the intermediate course, which has over 600 new sentences. Uh, and you could think of it as more like 300 new sentences because it's just one, two, it, we've actually made two sentences per usage of all the new words we're going to be adding into the intermediate course. So one of them you could skip if you wanted to. You know, you could say one's a required sentence and one's an optional sentence. But there's over 600 sentences that he's adding into the course. Uh, we're going to make the flashcards for them, and we're going to present the flashcards for these in the new flashcard software. So this will be the – we're kind of, kind of going to run two beta tests for the new flashcard software. One is for new users, and one is going to be for users who are, you know, already uh, members of the course – but are more advanced users. So maybe people who are already familiar with how the Mandarin Bloober method works, but they will have you know feedback that's based on comparing it with how Anki worked. Whereas uh, you know the new users, it'll be more about you know is there something that's not intuitive? Is there something that they wish they had that they don't have? And blah blah blah. So anyway, if you're interested in getting involved in that uh, more advanced beta test, so you're somebody who is already in the intermediate course or has completed the intermediate course, and you'd like to get access to this, just shoot us an email to contact at mandarinblueprint.com and we'll get you on the list. So it's getting close to being ready. I, I would say by the end of this week, he should have the vocab boost lessons completed within the um, intermediate course itself. And then once that's ready to go, we can then get started with the beta test uh, on the new flashcard software with these 600 sentences or so that are going to um, add a lot of meat to the intermediate course. So it's going to take it from, I think, 4,200 words up to about 4,500 words. And then also level 58, which is not out yet, it's is going to be the last level of the intermediate course we decided. So originally, level 58 was going to be the first le level of the upper intermediate course, but we decided we're going to make it the last level of the intermediate course because it, in it still includes a few HSK 2 and 3 characters, uh, about 15 of them. So um, in thinking about the future of the course, level 58 should just be a part of the intermediate course because we want to be able to say, after you finish the intermediate course, you'll easily be able to pass the new HSKs 2 and 3, the ones that they're going to be uh, coming out with in July of 2021, so very soon. And um, the reason we're focusing on this first is because all of the vocab and the sentences that are being written for the upper intermediate course are based on the idea that you have seen the intermediate course vocab boost lessons. In other words, we're not going to consider the words from the vocab boost lessons to be top down. Therefore, 
it's pretty essential that any of you who have finished the intermediate course first do the um, vocab boost lessons that we're going to be adding in soon. So therefore, our assistant has to focus on those first before we can release any part of the upper intermediate course. But don't worry, it's all new um, material that will help you uh, do better with the uh, Mandarin Luber Method course, recognize more words, recognize more things that are going to be in the HSK tests, and of course, in your day-to-day -day Chinese reading. So, with that in mind, let's get into the comments and emails from this week. And like I said, it'll be a slightly shorter, shorter show this week, but some good stuff all around. First, we have Ryan Bailey on the drawbacks of having bad pronunciation, which is a bonus video from the Pronunciation Mastery course. He says, really, really glad I found this course that will help me to develop my Chinese fluency. My goal is at 94% understanding of Chinese within the next one to two years, which I feel is totally achievable with this methodology. Should I combine this program with Pimsleur and Rosetta Stone and Duolingo if I already have access to all of them before this program? Spend 30 minutes a day on each of the above programs and an hour on this. So um, first of all, you can absolutely achieve 94% understanding of Chinese within the next one to two years, especially because... Uh, it looks like you're spending two and a half hours a day studying Chinese because you're saying there's three programs, Pimsleur, Rosetta Stone, Duolingo, you'll spend 30 minutes on, plus an hour in Mandarin Blueprint, that's two and a half hours a day. At two and a half hours a day, uh, you can definitely get finished the program up through the intermediate course in the next one to two years. And uh, by that point, we'll definitely have the upper intermediate course and the advanced course ready to go. Therefore, you'll be able to even take it further than that. But uh, by finishing the intermediate course, you get to 94% understanding. So that's uh, a good point to, like at that point, you'll absolutely be able to achieve that goal. Now, as for Pimsleur, Rosetta Stone, Duolingo, and Mandarin Blueprint. Um, so I would say that Pimsleur, Rosetta Stone, and Duolingo are good for uh, just wanting to change it up a bit, but I wouldn't necessarily see them as being necessary for being systematic. Um, perhaps Pimsleur, because uh, Pimsleur is the type of thing that you can do in circumstances where you can't do Mandarin Blueprint. So for example, uh, you might be, you know, in the car traveling to work or on a bus or something. And maybe if you're on a bus, it might be a little awkward doing Pimsleur because you're supposed to listen and repeat. <laughs> but, you know, if you're in some situation where you're traveling or you're walking around at, or you're on your bicycle and you're listening to Pimsleur and repeat, listening and repeating, that's a time when you can't be doing Mandarin Blueprint anyway. So in that case, it would be a good thing to do. But uh, I, would cut, I would try to fit it into the cracks of your day as opposed to making it your main study uh, option. Um, and Pimsleur, Rosetta Stone, and Duolingo, I mean, Duolingo's uh, not particularly going to um, make that much of a difference. So I'd probably just drop Duolingo. Uh, Rosetta Stone, I mean, like, we're going to cover all the same vocabulary. Maybe won't be in the same order, but we're building it. We build things off of a solid foundation of learning each individual character. And so you're going to get a much more comprehensive view of things. So the honest answer here is like use Pimsleur maybe when you um, are in situations where you can't be doing Mandarin Blueprint, but Mandarin Blueprint should be your main uh focus and any time you're spending on those you're not spending on mandarin blueprint you're not spending on reviewing what you've learned there you're not spending on learning new characters and that's the stuff that's going to make you 
like not just know some Chinese, but be really quite literate and fluent in it. And, um, you know, Rosetta Stone and Duolingo are the type of types of things that'll be like, hey, now you know some Chinese, but can you use it very fluently? Well, not really. And Pimsleur, the reason why I would say still do Pimsleur is because it's quite good for practicing the stuff you learn in pronunciation mastery and getting a chance to actually say some words without being fluent yet. So although Pimsleur can be quite boring, um, I found it super boring, but you know, if you can get through that and improve your pronunciation, that's all uh, definitely good. But it's just for that reason, like your your acquisition of Chinese is best done through Mandarin Blueprint. So that would be my answer answer for you. Ryan Syed on Guan in context, he says, so is Guan Sheng one of those verb result patterns where Sheng indicates successfully closing something? That's right. Um, yeah, so like Sheng is the result in Guan Sheng. So you take a door, Ba Men Guan Sheng. So uh, to close, like theoretically, you could try to close a door and it doesn't totally close. Guan Sheng means it's closed. It clicked. It's definitely closed. Matt Schubert on So this is one of the phase four, um, phase four longer form bits of content. He says, I was a bit startled by this sentence. Particularly this last little clause. Is this saying something like the answer is that Chinese isn't hard, nor are you studying wrong, but rather that you're not good enough? I love this interpretation because it just, <laughs> it makes it seem like the thing that we put in our, you know, self-written longer form graded reader is that you're not good enough to learn Chinese. I love that idea. Um, and so uh, I'll explain why that's a little bit off in a moment, but let's just continue with his question here. He says, I suspect that's not the intended translation given the overall optimistic tone of the piece, and that's quite a negative sentiment, but I'm not sure how else to translate Bugohal. Is is it supposed to be more, you don't know enough well? Uh, that one bit aside, this particular piece of content resonates with me a lot. I was feeling pretty good until the paragraph content of level 27, which is really testing my confidence and making me wonder if I really am just not good enough. And my reading out loud is painfully slow on these, and I mess up my tone sandy changes constantly. In terms of comprehension, reading is okay, but I feel like when I do blind listening, it only makes sense because I've begun to memorize the sentences unconsciously from so much replaying. Only thing to do is swallow the anxiety and power through, I suppose. Uh, yeah, so I mean, Matt's just basically on the uh, the upward trajectory of learning Chinese. He knows way more than he did before he started. The fact that he can even try to understand these uh, sentences is incredible. It's incredible progress. He didn't know anything not that long ago, and now he can look at a paragraph of text and interpret a lot of it. Um, but as we go upward, we go through... Um, valleys and mountains in our confidence and you know it's like a, a yo-yo going up the stairs or the stock market generally going up but going up and down while going up so uh, he's probably in a little bit of a down uh or it was when he wrote this comment feeling in a little bit of a down valley but it will come right back up and uh let's talk about this sentence because the interpretation the translation that matt had was a little bit off and here's why so the answer is Chinese isn't isn't hard. It's also not that you've studied that you've uh, not studied well. And he thought this was the was applied to me to you. So like, it's just 
you're not good enough. It's not that you've studied not well enough. It's just you suck. <laughs> um, it's no, it's the hao is applied to the study, right? So yeah, it's not that you haven't studied well, but that you haven't studied well enough. Right. So it's not it's actually quite positive. It's saying, hey, what you've been doing so far, it's pretty good. You know, you're not doing terribly. Uh, it's just not uh, good enough. And so that's the actual interpretation of this. But continuing on to what he's brought up here, the sort of peaks and valleys of our confidence. Um, one thing I would say is that the graded readers in phase four are there because you're ready to dip your toes into them in phase four, but really the perfect graded reader is 98% comprehension. And none of the phase four graded readers are at 98% comprehension because as I've talked about before, 80% of Chinese by frequency, which is what you get to by the end of phase five, is really a significant, it's a really significant milestone because it's quite difficult to talk about anything interesting and also be at 98% comprehension when you don't yet know 80% of the language by frequency. It's just, um, you know, you can simplify your language when you know 80% 80, 80 of the language by frequency and communicate, you know, quite a lot. It's, it's really apparent when I read through the intermediate course stories, which again, I'm sorry that they're not out yet, but they're coming soon. You know, we cover in phase four and phase five, fairly mundane topics and there's fairy tales in phase five and in phase five you do actually get to 98% comprehension on some stuff but it's still the three little pigs you know we're not talking about uh economic policy here right we're, we're still pretty simple stuff but once you get into the intermediate course the content and the topics start to get you know quite interesting in their own right you know there's this whole article i believe it's in level 44 or 45 that's all about mainland china's view of hong kong uh there's an article that's about kobe bryant and his legacy in hong kong uh or sorry his le legacy in china and hong kong uh and there's this one about um armand hammer the uh american entrepreneur and like there's just you know these the topics get much more broad because the language you have to work with is in turn much more broad so Again, you can take, once you know 80% of the language by frequency, you could take almost any article and just simplify some of the words to synonyms or or close synonyms uh, or phrases that mean the same thing, uh, but use simpler language and create a graded reader. But when you're in phase four, that's a little bit tough. So it's actually totally normal to feel like it's too hard in phase four and one of the things I'm going to do as soon as I finish the advanced course, it's like one of the first things I'm going to do is reanalyze the phase four uh, content and show you in the intermediate course when you've reached 98% comprehension, which means that you'll look at the same bit of text, but just when you know more and you'll see, oh, this is much easier than I thought. So uh, to Matt and to anybody who's feeling this way, remember how you used to feel about uh, – stuff in phase three and stuff in phase one and stuff in phase two and look back at it now and see how simple it is. That's how you'll feel about this stuff later. So yes, keep powering through and uh, then you, later you'll be in a peak of confidence and you'll be doing very well. So thanks to that great question from Matt. Next, we have Melanie on casting call for G two of 55. So this is in level one of the course, which I just want to point out is I want to point that out before we get into this because Melanie's a little bit frustrated and we'll just recognize that part of that frustration is simply being at the early point here. She says, I have to admit I'm getting frustrated. I've spent a lot of time watching all the linked videos, reading the Google Docs, etc. 
a bit hard to keep the faith here. I've learned hundreds of hensa without this method, although admittedly I don't retain the tones, and I sure hope all this is going to pay off because so far it is neither fun nor easy. Finding the directions confusing, looking for some reassurances here. I need to pick up the pace because I have a lot of studying to do. Right, so uh, I did communicate with Melanie a little bit about this, and uh, my diagnosis of the problem here is that I think that Melanie is trying to uh, read through everything and interpret a lot of different stuff all at the same time and it's a bit overwhelming. So like, uh, I imagine that she's probably quite bright, probably has a decently high IQ and is trying to therefore get the whole method down just theoretically before actually applying it because she left this, this um, comment on a lesson that is only in level one. So we haven't even gotten to the point of doing reviewing yet, right? So, and we have only picked two actors, we've only picked a couple of sets, and understanding exactly how the method works, it's just pretty early to practically get it. You could theoretically, you know, read all of our materials and, and wrap your head around the theory behind it, but there's no need to because we put literally 330 videos meticulously walking you through the 330 steps necessary to learn 105 characters. Now, naturally, people would go 330 steps to learn 105 characters. That seems really slow. But remember, this is a long game you're doing here with playing with learning Chinese. You need to learn about 3000 characters, you need to have a method for learning them that's really fast. So at the beginning, you need to work through slowly and patiently and step by step and, you know, working uh, on that sort of uh, basis where you're not rushing so that you can later speed through it without it even being rushing. So, like, I love the word rushing because it just implies fast but low quality. Uh, later, you'll be able to go fast and high quality so long as you're patient and meticulous at the beginning. So, the first bit of advice would just be maybe take a step away from the theoretical articles and the theory videos and just do the practical videos that are telling you, hey, pick a male actor with a name like G, like Gary Oldman or someone you know named Garrett, imagine them in your mind's eye and choose them. Uh, that will make a huge difference uh, in how you'll get it because people always report in our case studies I finally like totally wrapped my head around this method by about character 30, which is, you know, uh, casting call for G is on character five. So what I suggested to Melanie was to continue until you get to character 30. And if you still don't get how the method works at that point, you know, I'll set up a call with her and we can work on things individually at that point. But my, um, my general bit of advice is that for anybody at this stage in the course, just, uh, Take it easy. Don't uh, worry too much about not completely getting how it works yet because it will dawn on you as you continue to take things step by step and by about character 30, somewhere between character 30 and 50, you will get how it works. And then by then, you can start to move a lot faster. Julie Lund on one in context. Ni wen dao la fan xiang ma. Another question for this example. Do we actually need le after wen dao? With Dao, it sort of implies that you have a, if you've successfully done it. So why have Le as an extra indicator of something that's been done? So Le indicates a change, right? So um, it's not necessarily that something's been done successfully, like because uh, changes aren't necessarily active or passive, right? Now, one 
one doll. So you you can imagine that two people are standing somewhere and the one person has suddenly smelled the uh fan xiang the 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 xiang is like a smell but it's like a nice smell and that's what the nice smell of food drifting over towards you, right? And so one person smells it and then they ask the other person ni wen dao le. So it's almost like the the first person is saying you're gonna, it's like one doll is of course gonna happen at some point, but the has it happened yet? Has the change occurred? Has the le happened? And so uh, that's, you know, how you'll get it there. It's, these differences are quite subtle. Ni wen dao, fan xiang ma, could just be saying, you know, uh, have, do you smell the, like good food in general <laughs> like is that something that you ever do whereas if you say ni wen dao le fan xiang ma then for sure you're talking about an instance of uh good smelling food drifting over right so these differences are subtle and they're they're not it it doesn't matter too much that you understand these subtle differences What's more important is that you're going to see these things all the time, you're going to hear them all the time, and then eventually you're going to output them naturally. So I wouldn't worry too much about these subtle differences just to know that when there's a le, where's the change? Well, earlier you didn't smell it, now you do. And so, uh, yeah, that would be how I would say it. Julie Lund on guanxi and context. 你越有关系,机会就会越多. Why do we have a duo by the end of this sentence? I don't see any purpose for it. So this is, uh, now, of course, I can understand why this would be a little bit tricky because 越 something, 越 isn't a concept that we teach bottom up until later. So it's a top-down word for this sentence. But, for example, 越来越 means more and more. So, uh, Lately, uh, she's been uh, continuously working out, so uh, now she's more and more healthy. Uh, so fair enough, and that would be 越来越. But if you just say, if you say 越 something, 越 something else, it's saying the more this, the more something else. And in this case, 你越有关系, the more you have a relationship network, then opportunities will be more numerous, right? So, um, because theoretically, the person could be saying, the more you have a relationship network, opportunities will be uh, more seldom, in which case you would say, 机会就会越少, right? 少 being the opposite of dual. So if you didn't, if you left out the dual, it would be like, you'd be ending the sentence with, uh, what? Numerous? less, you know, fewer. Uh, so what would be what would be what you're saying about opportunities? Now, I think what might have been confusing to Julie here is that what are the chances that somebody would say the more you have a relationship network, the fewer your opportunities would be? That would be it's very unlikely somebody would say that. So it's almost like what's the point of saying dual because it's an obvious thing. But that's the difference is that you need to at least indicate numerous or, or less numerous or something to something to indicate what about the more what, you know, so, um, yeah. And so, 越 something, 越 something could be 
the more this, the less that, or the less this, the more that. But, but it's usually just translated as the more this, the more that. And that's how you could think of it. All right. Kari Shikari on Vocab Unlocked from Zi. Is there much difference between words like Dongtian and Dongji? Uh, there's no difference in definition, but Dongtian is more spoken and Dongji is more formal. That's about it. So, um, you know, you'll say Qiutian for autumn or fall, and you'll say Qiuji uh, for autumn or fall, but you'll see Qiuji in like, I don't know, the TV programming for the fall will be X, Y, or Z. And that's a situation where the narrator or announcer on a TV show that's announcing the TV programs for the fall would be a bit more formal. Uh, but if you're just talking to your friends uh, and you're just talking about, you know, autumn, you'll say Qiutian or winter Dongtian. That's how it tends to go. All right. Xiao En on Qi Fei in context. I'm glad he asked this. He said, why do we need le in the sentence 我马上就要起飞了? Isn't the le to indicate the completion of an action? When in this case, the person is talking about doing the action of taking a flight, right? So 马上就要. So 马上 means about to. 就要 means uh, is what, it's the way that you make a sentence if you've indicated a time and then something plus le means about to do whatever the verb is, in this case, qi fei. And so there's different ways you can do this. You could say, 我要起飞了. That would be the simplest version. And that means I'm going to take off, I'm about to take off. Uh, you might say, uh, 我快要起飞了, or 我快起飞了. These are all fine, mean the same thing. When you... in introduce a time word like mashang, which is being even like more emphatic about the fact that it's about to happen, you must say yao. So if I, like for example, I might say 我三点, three o'clock, 我三点, 就要起飞了. If I say a time word like mashang or uh, 三点 or something that's specific about time, then you must say 就要 verb le. Now, He's asking about the le. Xiao En is asking about the le. Why is that there? Well, we emphasized that le is a change and not a past tense indicator for this very reason. Because what the speaker is doing is saying there's about to be a change, right? So, 我马上就要起飞了. I know that there's about to be a change. The plane is right now not lifted off. And in a moment, the change will happen. That's why you can't say that le is a past tense indicator because sometimes it's speculating about the future and oftentimes it's speculating about the very near future in this case. Um, so that's why you put the le there. It's actually a bit of a set phrase. So there's yao verb le, there's kuai yao verb le, and there's kuai verb le. Those three are... Uh, just general ways of saying something's about to happen and they don't pair with time words. But as soon as you say a time word like ma shang, san dian, uh, you know, wu dian ban, ming tian, then you must say jiu yao, verb plus le. Jiu yao qi fei le, kuai yao qi fei le, yao qi fei le, kuai qi fei le. But as soon as you say wo ma shang, wo ming tian, wo san dian, jiu yao qi fei le. That's how that works. So hopefully that clears that up. And uh, thanks to Xiao En for that particular question. I like that one. 
Xiao En on Hai Shi in context. In the sample sentences, 我还是早上来吧, and 我还是明年去中国, how will I know if Hai Shi means better or still? I love this question because uh, it's the reason for the question is because there's not enough context. A single sentence on its own, for example, 我还是明年去中国, that sentence either means I will still go to China next year, or it means I'd better go to China next year. And how do you know? Well, it's uh, a question of what came before it. So someone might say, uh, geez, you know, the pandemic has really changed the way travel is going on. Uh, do you think you'll go to China next year? And you say, oh, um, that would be still, right? Because you're saying I'm still going to go despite the uh, pandemic. But suppose that someone said, uh, you know, like maybe it's one person speaking. They're like, I could do, I could go to, to China. I could go to India. I could go to Russia. Uh, you know, I, I'll go to, I'm, I better go to China, right? And it's just all about what was coming before it. And so the answer to the question, Xiaoen, is you'll know based on the context of whatever you're dealing with at that point. So in phase three, it's a bit early to think too much about this because you just, you know, you never know. I mean, like, uh, it's going to depend entirely on the context. So I would say that when you're dealing with questions like, how will I know? Uh, the frustrating but true answer is you just will. You just will when the context makes itself clear. And, in, and a sentence by itself isn't really enough, hence why in phase four we move to longer form content because, you know, there are times when you can know what something means based on what happened in chapter one of a book while you're reading chapter seven. So that's grammar on a very high level. So with only one sentence, it's not enough. You need more than that to really become competent in a language. So that's my answer to that. Xiao En on Huai in context. In the sample sentence, 这个坏人的个子不高, can I simply say, 这个坏人是不高, or 这个坏人不高? Uh, you wouldn't say 这个坏人是不高. You could say 这个坏人 in which case that would be the construction. Uh, but that would be like if you wanted to really emphasize that particular detail, uh, which, you know, you could, maybe you wanted to say, maybe you're talking to the police and they're saying, what about the, the bad guy? And you're like, well, the one detail I want to emphasize about him is that he was not tall. That would be all right. Um, and also saying, is okay. It, but by saying, you're just emphasizing a little bit more that the subject of the sentence is his height. Whereas if you say, you're, you're just saying he is not tall. The subject is the huiren. It's not his height. It's a subtle difference, but uh, you know, it's just being a little bit more detail-oriented, a little bit more emphatic when you say, but you can say, that's not wrong. Final question for this week, Rick Angeland on 你喜欢做什么, which is a graded reader from phase four. He says, uh, in reply to 我认识好多呢, 
if I was translating to English from the English to Mandarin, I would probably try for um, would this still be acceptable? I.e. assuming the sentence is a shortened version of putting aside the no for this question. Um, no, I, well, first of all, you got the wrong du here. So, for example, in the example sentence of uh, that would be the du that is the regular possessive du, not the du that you put on the screen here. So, like, this is the uh, the du that is also pronounced day. It's also pronounced du, and it's usually used after verbs to indicate how the verb happens. So, like, pao du hen kuai. Uh, so, 我在跑,跑得怎么样?跑得很快. I am running, and somebody says, how are you running? How's it going? And you go, I'm running fast. <laughs> that's how I'm running. And so, 我跑得很快. Um, that's how you use that particular du. Now, you also will use that du in comparison. So, for example, uh, Are you taller than him? You might say, or uh, in the case of quantities, and you can say, <laughs> that would be like saying, I have way more friends than he does. You know, so it would be like a way of indicating lots of uh, the quant. It's not just, 我的朋友比他多. my friends are more than his. 我的朋友比他多得多. That would be this same du. And that would be saying, I have a lot more friends than him. Uh, and so that's how you use that particular du. In this sentence, yeah, so um, you wouldn't say, 我认识好多的, no, no, 我认识好多 uh, is just, that's enough on its own. And then in this case, they added n to indicate that it's currently true, right? So, um, yeah, you wouldn't say, 我认识好多的, um, you know, you might say, 我认识好多的, if it was the other d and there was some kind of in thing that came before it indicating what it is that you know a lot about, it's usually people in the case of Rensh. You but you'd usually just say or Now that n is it more of just saying like I know currently a lot uh, of things or people or whatever. But yeah, you wouldn't use that d and in the other in the other case of the possessive d you'd likely use a different, um, you'd likely just omit it entirely. So yeah, hope that answers that. And thank you so much for all the questions this week. Again, uh, apologies for the short episode, but uh, even right now my back is killing me, so I'm gonna go lie down. But thank you so much for uh, listening and we'll see you here again next week.